Well, good morning. You know, it was one year ago this month that one of our dear, sweet pastors here at Fellowship Church went home to be with her Lord. Michelle Ferguson was loving God, loving her life. She was loving her husband. She was loving her family. And um, just like the rest of the pastors here at the church, she really loved you guys. She really did. She was uh, 56 years of age when she went home to be with the Lord. And this is a person that shocked us so much because she worked out every morning. I mean, she's up, she's exercising, she's eating bird seed and tree bark and all that other stuff. <laughs> and then picking on all us that weren't. And she came into the office one day, and I'll never forget it. She said, uh, <clears throat> she's moving kind of slow, and I asked her, I said, hey, what, what's wrong with you? She said, well, it hurt my back. I said, what were you doing? She says, throwing darts. I said, what's that? You hurt your back throwing darts? She said, yeah, I was throwing darts with my husband and his two boys, and, and, I, and I hurt my back. So, of course, I had to make fun of her for that, you know. And then after that, she said, I'm going to go see Dr. Roman and, you know, see, see if I can't get an adjustment, get this fixed. And So she went on to see Dr. Roman. We didn't think much of it. And then from there, it didn't get any better. She went on to see another doctor, and then she went to see another one, and more tests being done, things like that. And about three and a half weeks later, she came back to the office, and John was with her, her husband, and she said, it's not good. I said, what, what is it? And she said, it's lung cancer, and it's already at stage three. Well, we began to pray for her. I mean, we asked God to heal her. There was prayer circles that gathered up around her desk, and every time you would walk in, some of you heard about it so early on, so you were up at the church, and you would join Sheila and others around the table, and we'd be praying for you. If she was ever in a meeting with us in a, at a conference table, before we left the, the meeting, we would stop by her end of the conference table. We would all lay hands on her and we would pray for her. And I remember as I prayed for her, I was praying, God, give Michelle 20 more years. Give her 20. She goes, we're praying for 25. I go, okay, God, give her 25. And we began to pray the four healing prayers of the Bible over her life. If you're to look in the Bible, you'll see that people are healed in four different ways in the Bible. And here's the first one we prayed. We prayed for supernatural healing. We just asked for God, if he would, just to remove the tumors from her, from her lungs. We asked that all the cancer would be taken out of her bloodstream. We prayed that God, we asked that she would be our miracle here at the church so that when she goes in to see her doctor the next time, the doctor would say, the tumors are gone. We must have made a mistake. We don't know what happened. We want her to be one of those kind of people because we've seen that happen in the past where people would have a tumor or whatever, and we would pray over them, and, and sure enough, when they go in the next time, the tumor wasn't there. But the tumors stayed there. And she began to go into treatment, and she soon lost her hair, chemotherapy, and other drugs that she was taking. So then we began to pray for divine interventions healing, that God would work with the medication that she was taking. Because there's a lot of people that take medication, and they don't get any better. So we asked that God would use the medication, would use the treatments, and Michelle would be healed through divine intervention along with the medical resources that were available to her. But instead of her getting better, she got sicker. She got worse. So then we asked God for grace-sufficient healing. There it is, number three. We said, God, if you're not going to shrink the tumors, if you're not going to remove them from her body, if the cancer is going to remain in her bloodstream, don't let it affect her. I mean, many of you sitting in this room right now may have a disease in your bloodstream you don't know about. You may have a tumor in your body that's never been diagnosed. And the truth of the matter is, if you can go on living your life perfectly without it ever affecting you, that's grace-sufficient. 
You don't need to know about it. You don't need to have tests done. You don't need to spend money on getting it fixed. If you can live with it, then what difference does it make? So we begin to pray for that. God, if you're going to leave the tumors there, if the cancer is going to remain in the bloodstream, give her 25 more years where it didn't affect her in a negative way whatsoever. Let her just live a great life. But one year ago, this month, she went home to be with the Lord. And the last month of her life, as she went into hospice, she asked us to pray this prayer, the final healing stage, homegoing healing. And you know, I think a lot of people look at homegoing healing or somebody dying as, well, then God didn't answer prayer. I mean, if they died, then they weren't healed. Wait a second. Do you know every person that we've ever prayed for that a tumor would be removed or healing would take place in their body, they still died later? It may have been gone or subsided for a year, two years, three years, but then maybe it would come back. They still had to die of something. But for Michelle, as she was going into hospice, she said, I'm ready to go home. I fought this one long enough. So we began to pray for homegoing healing. And sure enough, a year ago this month, she went home to be with the Lord at the age of 56 years. Now, with the early death of Officer Gear at 40, leaving behind a wife, a 13-year-old, and an 11-year-old. With this being the one-year anniversary of dear, sweet Michelle, one of our pastors who went home to be with the Lord, I want to ask you to let me talk to you a little differently today. I want to ask you to not look at me as a pastor this morning. I want to ask you to look at me as a friend. And let me just talk to you friend to friend. Forget the fact that I'm a pastor. I'm also a man who sat on the ground beside my dad's headstone and did his funeral service. My wife buried her mom and her dad. We were there for both those services. Her brother at 19 was killed in a head-on car collision. So I have been through some personal home goings myself. And not all of them reached the age of 70 or 80. Let me ask you a question from Michelle. This particular rope that I'm holding in my hand represents a timeline for your existence. This part of the rope represents where you began. When you were being knit together in your mother's womb, it took place right here, the beginning of your existence. This red part represents your life here on this earth. And this rope represents your eternity. Now just imagine it not stopping at the end of the stage, but imagine it going on forever and forever and forever and forever, around the world as many times as it could possibly go around the world. Just imagine it continuing to go. But this rope represents your time and your existence. This represents your life. Now for Michelle, we can write on this part of the rope, the red place, we can write down here 56 years because that's what she lived. She lived 56 years. Now I guarantee you when she was 17, she would have never written 56 on this part. I guarantee you it would have been 70 or 80. Let me ask you, if you could write down a number of years that you want this part of your existence to be, what would you put? Well, some of you would probably put 70. Some of you would put 80. Some of you might even put 90. Oh, I want to do 90. If I could just do 90 on the red zone, that would be awesome. But you would at least say 70 because doesn't the Bible promise us that we get 70 years? Doesn't it say something like that? My uh, family is made up of four siblings. My older sister, who was 11 years older than me, a brother five years older than me, my younger brother, 18 months younger than me. 
My sister, and I, her name is Janet, uh, that's a college picture, right after she graduated from college, and you can see she was a homely-looking girl. But um, truth is, she is beautiful and she was brilliant. And she died of breast cancer when she was 54 years old. She had two babies, both of them carried full term, died at birth. Her husband fought in Vietnam. He was subject to Agent Orange. That chemical weapon in his blood system killed their babies that many years later. But my sister being 54 years of age, being brilliant, being beautiful, absolutely love, love, love life, she didn't make it to 70. And Michelle didn't make it to 70. And are we really promised 70? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have buried a loved one in your family and they didn't make it to 70? Would you raise your hand? Have you ever buried a loved one who didn't make it to 50? Would you raise your hand? Have you ever buried a loved one that didn't make it to 30? Would you raise your hand? Wow. You know, before I, I came to Grand Junction, I was working in a church in Fort Worth, Texas, and most of the people there in my Bible class were old enough to be my parents. So they averaged about 65 years of age when Ann and I were in our 20s. And the church being the age that it was, we would have a funeral service, two funeral services every three weeks. So every three weeks, we would have two people within the church that would pass away. And it seems like we were always working with a family, always trying to help somebody, you know, with that kind of situation. And I remember that we buried people of all ages. There was no rhyme or reason to it. And when we first came to Grand Junction, we had just a very small group of people that were here. And the first person that we buried was somebody that uh, I wasn't expecting at all. We were... 30, 40 people that were in the church, and we had a, a park, a, a picnic in the park over in the ridges. And we, everybody was there. It was like 30 of us. And there was a single mom that was in the church, and her name was Sue. And she had a little girl that was five, and she had a little boy that was two. His name was Jeremy Cundell. Well, because he had a single mom raising him, any male attention that this little boy would get, he would gravitate to it like a magnet man. And so he, you know, loved, you know, kind of running around with me a little bit. So me and Anna were sitting on a park bench there in the park, and we were swinging back and forth at the park swing. And Jeremy came over, and he sat on my foot, and, you know, I grabbed his hands, and, you know, I'm bouncing him up and down until he flat out wore me out, you know. And then he'd run off and play, get a hot dog, come back, do it again. And uh, a couple of weeks after that, that picnic, uh, his mom smoked cigarettes, and she fell asleep on the sofa with a lit cigarette. It lit the sofa on fire lit her living room on fire. She was able to get her daughter and her son out of the house, out of the apartment. Took them out to the front yard, and then Sue thought she would go back in and maybe try to put out the fire. Well, little Jeremy followed her back in the front door. Sue wasn't able to get back out the front door, so she went out the back door, and Jeremy didn't make it out. First funeral service we did here in Grand Junction was a two-year-old boy named Jeremy Cundell. Over the years, we have buried children Kids that were four, five, six, seven, eight, who got sick or there was an accident that happened and maybe they were killed. Back in Texas, we had two of the most popular teenage boys in our youth group killed in a head-on crash by a driver that wasn't paying attention as they were coming home from a youth activity. Two caskets at the same time in front of the building. We had a young married couple that I married. A week after that I married them, he was a diver for the police department and he dove down for his job in an area to be able to recover something that had to do with some kind of crime that was committed. And he got tangled up in an electrical wire underneath the water. 
And he never made it out, married in one week. One week. And over the years, there's been people in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And, but obviously, not just people that I know, but people that you know. And it's interesting because when it comes to this portion of our existence, which is very, very short, I had a medical doctor one time that I read said this. He was a retired doctor, and he said this on the side screen. The average person will get sick 40 times in their life, and they will recover 39 of them. So if you live to be 70, 80 years old, you might get sick 40 times, but you're only recovering 39. Well, the Bible says something about it in Psalms chapter 90. The Bible says our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Now, did you all see the may come part? Does that sound like a guarantee to you? No. It says you may live 70 or even 80 years if what? If your strength endures. So how many of you in here, go ahead and be proud of it, are 70 years old or older? Would you raise your hand? Okay. You are passing an endurance test. So congratulations. But you weren't guaranteed that. And a lot of us think, that especially if you're young, you think, well, man, if you're in your 50s and you die, 50s is old. Let me hear from all the 50 years old in here. 50 is not old, is it? No. We could run circles around some of you younger people, and not only that, we got a lot more money than you do. So yay us. But the Bible says you may, you may have 70 or 80 years if your strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow right here. But they quickly pass, and we fly away. So teach us the number of our days. Wow. How many of you in here are over 35? Will you raise your hand? Okay. Okay. If this was your beginning, then right here was your 20s. Do you even remember your 20s? They're gone, right? It's a blur, right? You thought, whoa, whoo, 20s. You don't even remember your 20s. You got to look in photo albums to remember even what you did in your 20s. Because they quickly pass. So what does our God have to say about this red part, which is your life on this planet, versus this part, which is your life for all eternity? Oh, man, I'll tell you what I can do. If I just, you know, work real hard here, and I'm real smart here, and I get married right here, and then we have our kids right here, and then we do taxi cab service right here, and then in our 40s and 50s right here, we start doing a career, and we get the career going. Maybe we add some investments. So if I do that just right, and we save up, we save up, then right there, right there, y'all see that right there? Right there we can start having fun. Woohoo! Well, wait a minute. What about right out here? Oh, wait, wait a second. What about right out here? If this is all you're worried about is right here. Huh. So what does God have to say about this little tiny portion of your total existence called human flesh? What does he say? Let's take a look at it. First Peter. The Bible says this on the side screen. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. And I want to stop and just say thank you, God, for your mercy that we could be born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Everybody read this part. Now we live. Great expectation. And we have a precious, a priceless inheritance. 
an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure, it's undefiled, it's beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. Your faith, his power. Your faith, his power. Until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all of us to see. So be truly glad. When? During this part, right? There is wonderful joy ahead. When? During this part. Take a look at it. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, where? During this red part, right? These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests of purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when faith remains strong through many trials, it'll bring much praise and glory and honor on the day that Jesus is revealing himself to the whole world at the beginning of this part. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, unexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Again, that's this part. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching all these things happen. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. When? During this part. But put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. In this part. So you must live as God's obedient children when, during this part, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I'm holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He'll judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as, everybody say it, temporary residence. All the best of the best and the wealthiest of the wealthiest in this room, you're just a renter. Donald Trump, he's just a renter. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was paid not by mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. We'll stop again and say, thank you, Father. God chose him as a ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and your hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now, when? <laughs> During this red part, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. And everybody read this together. Love each other deeply with all your heart and keep reading. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your life will last forever. Oh, my gosh. God, sum up my life. It's going to quickly end. There it is. The best of the best, whatever it is, that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is going to quickly end. And you're not guaranteed 70 or 80 or 60 or 50 or 35. Or 17. You're not guaranteed anything. It's going to come to an end. 
And then he says, but you're trading it in for a life that's going to last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And then he paints this picture in the scripture. He says, your life, people are like grass and beauty fades and, you know, on the field, that kind of thing. So this is the question that I want to lay out for you. If this is all you have in the flesh, that's it, and this is coming, why in the world would you waste a minute of it sweating the small stuff? And the truth of the matter is, if you're not sweating small stuff, 99% of what's happening here is small stuff. There's only a few really important decisions that take place in the red zone. Once you hit the red zone, the timer's on, you got eight plays left. We'll talk about that next week. But right there, why would you waste it? Why would you let something so silly mess up a relationship, mess up your thoughts, put you in a state of depression, keep you attached to an addiction that's going to take years off of this very, very short lifespan that doesn't have a number on it yet for you? Why, why would we do that? Ann and I uh, moved here with our family in September of uh, 89. And before we actually came here with our family, we, we came here in August to be able to check out the church that we were going to, we were going to take. And um, when we were here, we had just built a brand new home in, in, in Texas. And it was her dream home. I, she, she designed the whole thing. And I just bought her a new car. And we were doing really, really well. And so when we decided to come here, we, we needed to sell the new home we just built, and we needed to sell her car. And she was on board with it. She said, sure, you know, we'll do whatever we got to do. If that's where, you know, God wants us to go, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. So we came to Grand Junction, and I took her up to a, the ridges, and we found a house in the ridges that was, had been sitting there a while. And it was old, and it was very small, and we talked to the owner of it, and, and we said, well, this is what we'll offer you. We'll offer you 68500 And in 1989, August... We bought a house on the ridges for $68,500. It was a mansion. Let me tell you about this house. It was not a mansion. It was very small. It was very old. It had the old shag carpet in it, the long shag carpet that you literally raked with a rake. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And it needed a complete remodel. Well, at the time, our church needed to grow. So we needed to remodel the church. I needed to remodel the house. So we were just going back and forth. And, man, I was up every morning at 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock. I'd go to the church, work for 8, 10, 12 hours, and I would come home complete, start on a remodel. We had the kitchen tore up. I was refinishing the kitchen cabinets. We were doing stuff. And, and now, now, this is what I need you to understand when it comes to Ann and I. I go to work, Anna takes care of the house. That's how it is. That's how it's always been. I go to work, and, it takes, and if she ever works outside of the house, then she, that's just a favor to me. That's what that is. But I go to work. She takes care of the house. Therefore, she's home a lot more than I am. She has all the call and all the say when it comes to the house. I don't pick wallpaper. I don't pick paint. I don't pick colors. I don't pick trim. I don't do that. I, I, I do not want to ever again go into a Michael's or a Hobby Lobby until Jesus comes back. Lord, come on back. It looks like we're heading to Hobby Lobby. So this is not something that I care about whatsoever. But, but there was one part of the house that I thought was cool. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, big city boy. I went and grew up then as a teenager in Orlando, Florida, big city boy, and in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, big city boy. I wore a suit and a tie to work for the last 10 years before I ever came to Grand Junction. I wore a suit and a tie 
every day going to work until I moved to Grand Junction, Colorado. City boy. Well, what I thought was cool about the house is the house had a wood-burning fireplace. Now, in Colorado, I thought Colorado home, wood-burning fireplace, Woohoo! we're doing it Colorado mountain style now. That's what I'm thinking. The fireplace was big enough to put one grocery store-bought Duraflame log in it. That was it. But I thought it was the coolest because it was a wood-burning fireplace. So I told Anna, hey, you can do whatever you want to do with the house, but I want, I want to keep that wood-burning fireplace. She goes, I don't think so. And I said, no, wait a minute. I think it's cool it's a wood-burning fireplace. She said, no, I don't, I don't think about that. So I said, well, you think about it all you want, but that's the one and only thing I want in this house is that wood-burning fireplace. You do whatever else you want. Well, I went to work that morning, worked about 10, 12 hours, came home that evening to start more on the remodel of the kitchen. And as I walked in the door, she greeted me like this. Hey, I called a guy today. Now, Anna was 29 years of age, but we'd already built two homes. So she knew how to get things done around the house if I couldn't do them, right? She'd call a guy. So she said, I called a guy today, and I decided we're not going to have a wood-burning fireplace. I'm going to have him run a gas line underneath the house, and we're going to put in a gas insert in that fireplace. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want a wood-burning fireplace. She said, honey, we're not going to have one. She said, all we'll do is smoke up the place. My hair's going to smell like a fireplace. My clothes will smell like a fireplace. Now, let me tell you something. I don't have anything to do with the house stuff. If I were to design a house, really, honest to goodness, all my furniture would be completely leather. Every bit of wood would be rustic wood, dark, and there would be dead animal heads all over every wall. Now, I would have to buy those. I wouldn't be able to shoot them, but I would buy them, and I would put them on the wall. So this is not my area, but, but that particular day, for some reason, I thought we are going to have Custer's last stand on the gas fireplace. So here was my excuse. I said, baby, I want the house to keep a wood-burning fireplace. She goes, why? Why is that important to you? She's going to pop wood embers out. You've got to clean it up every day. It's going to stink up the place. Why is that important? I said, because you don't understand. What if one day I come home from work and I want to go out in the backyard and chop wood? That was the best I had. <laughs> now, you need to understand something. I had never chopped wood to that day. I have never chopped wood since that day. I tried to chop wood one time. I took the axe. I hit the end of a log. It stuck in the log. It took me a long time to get it out. I've never chopped wood since then. <laughs> but when I said, what if I want to go out in the yard after work one day and chop some wood? She laughed in my face. She went, bah! <laughs> oh, man, that was it. I thought this is Custer's last stand right here. I reached in my pocket. I got my car keys out. I said, all right. I went out and I got in my car. I drove two miles away, parked in a park by a lake. And I pulled in there, and I, oh, I'll tell you, woman, I, I'll never get anything out of the house. I don't know. It was all about her. Not about me. Nothing about me. I don't have nothing. I don't even have a garage. I don't have a man cave. I got nothing. Well, wood burning fireplace. I ain't getting no wood burning fireplace. It's going to have to be her way. And then I just started laughing. I thought, I've messed up my whole evening. My dinner's home getting cold. My wife is hurt. I'm all mad over a gas fireplace. So I tell the Lord I'm sorry, and he's telling me you need to go tell her. And I'm thinking, all right, I'll go tell her. I wasn't in the mood to tell her, not yet, but I said I'd tell her. So I reach over, and I start the car, and went, nothing. 
this is the first time our car has done that to us. So I, oh, nothing, nothing. Oh, Lord, are you kidding me? And I, I knew the Lord was just going, you need to walk and cool off there, Hooper. This is back before cell phones. So you know what I got to do? I walked home two and a half miles uphill both ways. I got there. <laughs> and I walked up to the door, and Anna's standing at the door. She's grinning. She goes, what you doing? I go, the car broke down. She goes, <laughs> I go, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I made that such a big deal. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care nothing about it. Baby, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to act like such a fool over that. I don't care anything about gas burning fire. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. She goes, okay, it's all right, honey. It's all right. Dinner's ready. Well, now, you would think it would end with that, but it didn't. Because two or three days later, she calls up one of my friends. He's a pastor buddy of mine that I've known since high school. And she tells on me to my pastor buddy friend. She says, you're not going to believe what Dan did. And she tells the whole story. He said he wanted to go out in the yard and chop wood. And my friends started laughing. And then my friend called all my other pastor friends from Florida to Indiana to Texas to Colorado. For two years, you know what my nickname was? Lumberjack. I was Lumberjack, y'all, for two years. Every letter, every phone call. Is Lumberjack there? <laughs> and here's what I've got to ask you. With this little bit of life that you have, please tell me what is so important here to mess it all up. You know what I know about every man in this room? You've got a gas fireplace story. <laughs> And for the rest of my life, since I was 30 years of age and my wife was 29, I have got a point of reference called a gas fireplace. And this is what I do. I go, oh, my gosh. That's nothing but a gas fireplace. That's not worth getting upset over. That's not worth you running an evening over. That's not worth killing the date night and missing a funny movie. That's not worth me and her going to bed mad at each other. It's just a gas fireplace. Because when you really figure out that you don't know that the date on yours is going to be 44. You don't know it's going to be 39. You don't know it's going to be 47. You don't know. So please tell me if the date is written down there, what you want to waste days on. Please tell me what's that important. That's a gift. And 99.9% .9 of the things that you and I get upset about and screw it up, gas fireplaces just a gas fireplace can I get you guys to stand with me for a minute next week there are a few things that are super important when it comes to this red part a few things you have to get right you have to let me just share this with you. I don't believe our world's getting better. The Bible says it is waxing worse and worse. You go, yeah, but when the election takes place, then things are going to change. I want to promise you something. I don't care if it's a Democrat. I don't care if it's a Republican. Choose teams. Choose sides. Wear the I voted thing. Put the bumper sticker on your car. Things are not going to get better in this world. Things will not get better. You go, well, Pastor, you're not being very positive. Okay, I'm sorry. 
I am positive that things are not going to get better. But God said, for you as my child, this can be awesome. This can be awesome. If you'll just let a bunch of small stuff be small stuff and focus in on a few big things. Next week, we're going to talk about the red zone. But right here, right now, on Valentine's Day Sunday, I want every married couple in here, if your spouse is sitting by you, if you're engaged to this person, or you think you might marry him, I want you to wrap your arms around him, please. Just put an arm around him right now. Just hold on to him real tight. I love to hear men and women say, I can't wait to take her to Maui. I can't wait to take her to Disneyland. I can't wait to take her down to Phoenix for spring training. I can't wait. And one of these days we're going to do that. I am so glad John took Michelle to Maui eight months before she died. And I'm saying, good plan. But don't wait. Don't wait. Drop, dump those kids off with the grandparents and go. Borrow something from your dad. Go. Don't wait. Don't wait. The enemy is after your marriage. He's trying to screw up the atmosphere of your home. And if you don't have a gas fireplace story yet... I pray you get one soon because it, that reference puts all the silly, stupid things into place. Why would you waste a month, a year, two years, throw it all away and start over? When God said, in perspective of eternity, love each other deeply. And you can't love her deeply if you cheat on her. You can't love her deeply if you're flirting behind her back or on the internet talking to somebody you shouldn't be talking to. That is not loving her deeply. Because you only have so much time. So fix it. Fix it. I want to testify that I, Lumberjack Hooper, fixed it. Father, we love you so much and thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that you try to wake us up and say that this life, our existence is eternal, but this life isn't. And there is no time frame on it and no guarantee we're going to make 70. You got to be pretty strong to endure. And some people in here over 70, they've endured some stuff to be that age. But I pray in this room right now you bless every marriage, every man, every woman. But whatever that silly thing is that has driven a wedge between their relationship, that there would be forgiveness, there would be kindness, there would be the filling of the Holy Spirit in that house, and there would be love, and there would be laughter, and there would be intimacy, and there would be trips, and there would be memories. Because this life with this loved one is so very short. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Talk to you about the red zone next week.